Okay, welcome back to Shared Secrets Episode 2. My name's Kevin Nasri. Hey, I'm Dennis Sheridan. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about information security topics today. But before we do that, Dennis... Yes. I have a get to know you. Like, actually, I assume that most people know either one of us, like in person. Like, I assume the only people that will listen to us are people. That- <laughs> what are you talking about? The millions and millions of okay. people in okay. this audience. But, so I, at first I was like, well, we don't need to do that. because the. But there's actually very few people who know us both. Mm-hmm. That are going to listen to this, so <laughs> yeah, very true. Like, I think it's either so, and you know, your people are definitely want to know know more about that charming guy that you do a podcast with. Mm-hmm. Uh, my people are already asking who I'm talking to. Um, <laughs> so, what the the game that I envision or that we envision is a little icebreaker. So we're going to get to know Dennis and Kev, but it's uh, boring and stupid to share facts about yourself so i have three facts about you and you have three facts about me and uh let's alternate each one so oh okay okay yep let's do it yeah why don't you go first so kev fun fact number one by dennis fun fact number one by dennis uh absolutely adores his mountain cur ruggles uh the puppy um takes very good care of her uh and uh like while even while we're on the road, we'll get daily snapshots of his puppy to check in with her to make sure that she is uh, uh, very happy and, and being well cared for. Okay, so here's how similar we we are in terms of our first choice. My first choice was about your pet. You uh-huh. recently adopted a pet cat from the Middle East. I did. Yes, unknowingly <laughs> from from Cutter. Yes. Yeah. Well, unknowingly from Cutter. I I just assume that you know all these you got all this cat money coming out what's the what's the price of a barrel of cats these days <laughs> i don't i think I don't it's know. got up i think it's got up uh, yeah i think it, yeah it's indirectly proportional to the price of oil i think somehow oh okay well, that's good to know um all right uh why don't i do the next one we'll okay. do a little serpentine draft here oh okay i like it so fun fact number two about dennis by kev your mechanical skills are limited to the restoration of manual typewriters Ooh, that's a good one. And that is true. Uh, I, uh, I, every tool that I have, uh, in my place right now is directly related to some sort yeah. of type. Wiggly activity. lock, not your, not your guy, very complex manual typewriter <laughs> machine. Yes. I'll very delicately restore that. That's, that's my impression of your. Yes. Your, and uh, actually, in fact, before, uh, taping the podcast tonight, I was, uh, wet blasting, uh, the the paint off of a typewriter that I'm going to be repainting. <laughs> All right, this is a PG podcast, so I'm not going to get into <laughs> okay. the definition of whatever yes. you're talking about. But it okay. sounds All right. interesting. So, yeah. All right. Fun fact number two: uh, into precision rifles. Um, so yeah, I, and uh, to the point of being on a cable television show demonstrating uh, yes, his I, skills. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, not to get, uh, political, this isn't a political podcast, but I enjoy, uh, shooting precision rifles, uh, hand loading for precision rifles. Uh, it's almost a hobby in the of itself. And I was on, yeah, a, a, uh, a bad cable television show that, that people, if you pay way too much for television, you might be able to see it. That's what I've understood. 
Okay, well, your, your, <laughs> your bootleg upload of said program, my dad thoroughly enjoyed on YouTube. So okay, that I can gotcha. tell you. All right, the third and final Kev fun fact is uh, his uncanny uh, ability to come up with puns. Okay, uh, much to the annoyance of his of his wife. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yes, he's a, a master of of the puns. Yeah, we haven't demonstrated that skill at all, so people are going to be on the edge of their seats. But uh, yeah, I, now it's way too much pressure to even think about. So uh, <laughs> I'm not going to try it. Here's my last final fun fact about Dennis. You once uh, were on a, a spiritual mountain hike in northern China, and up, at, up t- and 10 minutes up a mountain, you stopped and bought a beer. <laughs> Mount Tai. Yes, it was, uh, was, you know, it was necessary. Let's just say that. I'll just leave it at that. Actually, you bought three beers. So I bought, yeah, I bought three beers. And I think because of my terrible uh, ability to do math uh, across exchange rates, I tipped uh, about 3000% on those beers too. I I mean, I, I, it was probably like a monthly saw. I just see it as a, as a generous donation to, uh, he's probably, you know, still living off that, uh, Port that uh i will say <laughs> one of the best guys i had in my life for sure oh it was it was necessary okay it was- uh so great fun facts about den and kev by den and kev uh in inverse order today what are we talking about in uh in information security today you ask uh dennis the topic for yes no no no, kev. no, no. oh dennis. oh kev i'm Psst. sorry do you have yeah do you have yes kev do you have a secret to, to share perhaps Psst. dennis Psst. dennis okay. i have it I have a secret to share. Ooh, okay. Maybe that could be. Maybe maybe that uh, that back and forth right there, that hilarious repartee, could be our. That could be the uh, the intro going forward. What do you think? Yeah, somebody send it to us. Yeah, a listener, <laughs> please take that and uh, and uh, yeah, do it. Okay, so my my uh, secret that I want to share with everybody is. The hacker culture has nothing to do with computer security. Hmm. Okay. I'm interested in this one. And okay. I am super interested in the sealed envelope aspect for okay. this one too. Okay. Well, I think it exists. I think well, I just, hopefully I, the text fact. So okay, the premise yeah. of the podcast, we should remind people. After I tell Dennis my secret, which in this case is the hacker culture has nothing to do with computer security, uh, I, I'm going to spend the next 25 to 30 minutes trying to convince you of that. Uh, in a back and forth uh, conversation, it's not a lecture. I'm not. It's not a debate club. I don't have a speech prepared, but uh, I've got some things I want to say, and I'm going to say them. And at the end of that, you're going to tell me how much on a scale of one to ten I've convinced you. I guess it's technically a scale of zero to ten because it would be weird that one would be defined as not at all. So mm-hmm. zero to ten scale, and then we're going to look. I have sealed in a virtual envelope my own assessment of this to be true. And now we're going to talk about it. So first, let me zero in on what I'm calling the hacking culture. Okay. I'm not talking about, first of all, I'm definitely not talking about hackers. Like there's people who are professional, you know, professionals focus primarily on finding ways to like get unauthorized access into systems. Right. Um, you know, and there's a subset of those people that research finding new vulnerabilities, classes of vulnerabilities. So, so there's hackers, the criminal element, 
that I'm not going to talk about because I think we said on the last podcast or whatever, that's just going to be, that's in my equation, that's mostly just noise. Uh, but, you know, if we include professionals, you know, in computer security who consider themselves hackers, yeah, I, so that's going to be a part of, of what I'm going to talk. But so there's there's first hackers, criminals versus hackers, professionals. Then I want to further illuminate that even that hacking element, like if we were going to say those those professional people that do penetration testing, that do, you know, those, those types of offensive security research, I've heard you're called, whatever, that's a very small part of computer security, right? Because those people, you know, I, I like to think of it as kind of like Hollywood, right? It takes a million people to make a movie, but you only know, you know, only like leading actors are famous. Mm-hmm. And I think that that same thing is true about information or information computer security, like the whole ecosystem around this, you know, making technologies secure in, in some way. Like there's a million people who, who, who have to work on it, have to work together. And I'm not saying like, it's not important, but the overall attention and resources put into that side of the house, it, it creates problems in other areas. Like it's, I think it's kind of it, people overemphasize that part of computer security work. Like you say, you're a computer security expert. And the first thing your aunt asks you is like, you break into banks. It's like, well, I've done that, but also we do a whole bunch of other stuff and it takes a much broader understanding of technology you know, trust, information value, you know, to understand all the layers that need to fit together to make something really secure in a given situation. And, you know, those people working on on that part of the problem, again, I'm not saying that it's not important. I'm just saying that it, if people are looking at the industry from inside or outside, you should you should be aware that not to think about it disproportionately big that that hacking is is all of that it's right. an important part but not the whole thing so now also those people that do that hacking important as they may be we sometimes ask them to do other things that they're not good at like give us advice about securing systems and i think that's also a mistake that we're making as an industry so before i even get into the main point here let's make this sub point that that the ability to break into a system or subvert a security control and all of those skills. I think they're interesting. I think they're important, but having that set of skills does not somehow give them a set of skills that are required to secure that same system. Right. So I'm talking about like the remediation guidance. I've never seen practical remediation guidance ever written by a penetration tester, right? It's, I I mean, it's just a a unicorn and you see a lot of stuff that's like just insane. I mean, if at best it like very specifically addresses a very particular problem, but really the remediation path somebody should do be is, you know, look at a, you know, some type of, of, um, you know, security defect, vulnerability, whatever it is, generalize it and think about where the implementation, the technology implementation process, where that issue materialized and how could they avoid that in similar classes of issues in the future, right? So it, again, if I'm, before I move on, if I, if you and I got hired to test tires for Goodyear, right? Like 
we might be very good at popping tires. Like we might, you know, you'll roll out your little uh, tray table of, of typewriter equipment and jab at tires. And <laughs> we could get very good at popping tires. And I think that, that some of that data would be useful to Goodyear, right? Like let's say, you know, Goodyear needs to know that a small pebble is not going to to pop you know, their latest all-terrain tire. Um, but they're not going to get a ton of data from us. And they're certainly not going to take our advice on how to build a better tire by the fact that you had a screw, you know, that one screwdriver made it through there in the sidewall pretty easy. So, yeah. And I think that it's funny you say that because my, my mind immediately went to like the crash test dummies for a car, right. Or something like that, that if you were to liken this to the building of a car, right. Yeah. Like we see what's bad when we crash this car. Right. But uh, that's not necessarily the same skill set required to uh, that, that goes into all the other okay valuable things upstream. So, yep. Totally. Um, so, and then I, I will say one more thing about oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, where you were just mentioning, you know, the valuable remediation guidance. I think that there is maybe lower priority put importance put on that by the penetration tester sometimes. Uh, and especially in adherence to like, or, uh, a proclivity to, to just sort of be like, oh yeah, this is just the stock advice that you give someone when, when you find a particular vulnerability. Right. I, and so it's yes, just like it's not perfunctory. a lot of put into it. Exactly. And it shouldn't be because they're not the right people to be giving that advice. I mean, like, I'm not saying that, um, those people don't exist and you, you know, but it, it it's, it's a collaborative thing, Right we learned a really important piece of information here and we have to do, I mean, you are not realizing the return on investment of discovering a problem. If you do not systematically or systemically analyze that, find where it came into existence and, and evolve in some way to avoid it. Like you're just going to collect issues. Maybe, you know, you're going to be plugging the holes in those tires, right? Okay. I stabbed it with a, a nail. Okay. Let me patch it. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's going to be that, that same analogy. Okay. So we've talked about uh, criminal hackers who, who I, I don't think are, I mean, obviously they're, they're again, kind of just sharp objects in the real world. So if, if we're the testers or I, I don't know if we need to keep the analogy going, we've talked about the information security people that would call themselves hackers. There's a bunch of information security people that do the same work, um, you know, or, or, or work in multiple areas or, or stuff like that, that, that actually maybe wouldn't even consider themselves, you know, quote unquote hackers. And, and that's what I'm really trying to get into is the, I, I think I used in the premise, the hacking culture. Um, because I, I, and I'm an outsider to it. I've, I've been around it in, in a, in a lot of situations. Um, and I think it's probably most prevalent, um, and, and 2020 is, is <laughs> in early 2020, 2021 here is probably not a, uh, a huge example of, of this, um, you know, because the conference scene has died down, but I think mm. that there, there really is a big, com- you know, hacking culture, counterculture, whatever it is. And, um, and I'm not saying that it's not important. I think it's got some problems. I think we should maybe look a little bit, uh, um, 
because it's connected to to information security so closely, although I guess my premise is I'm saying that it's not, but because they're associated from the outside, everybody thinks that they're the same, you know, oh, uh, that guy wearing the fedora is, is the guy that, um, you know, fixes all these security problems or whatever. I, I just think it's it should be said that that it's it really has very little to do with computer security. Like the culture at conferences, I, I think, okay, so let me talk about something prog- problematic. In my opinion, it's got more problems than maybe benefits. And I see that because at the core of it is this elitism, right? I mean, you can't join the club until you know X, right? And that's a huge uh, deterrent for me to have anything, any type of involvement, even if I know X, because how do we teach the next layer of information security professionals X so that they can get to the next jump? Mm-hmm. So I think it's problematic in in the structure of it and the values. And then I think that every, and, and I, I've been a part of other communities and every community does develop a bit of a, you know, there's this toxicity around clicks and groups and all that stuff. I think it's off the charts in this, this hacker culture. That was exactly what you, you totally stole a question right out of my mouth because I was just going to say, you know, we have to, I would think that this exists across communities, right? And so you, you do think that it is worse here Uh, in computer security. uh, Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, not only, so I've been a part of some other even technical communities, like things that are adjacent. Like I've given talks at conferences like Usenix, right? Which is a community of people working on systems administration and engineering, right? And systems design. I've given, I've gone to Linux conferences. Um, and I've also, I've given a talk at uh, like NANON, North American Network Operators Group and things like that. So in these adjacent spaces, um not to say that there's not a limited amount of and clicks and things like that that I you know you can't scratch the surface on, but you go to the DefCon and it it hits you it, it knocks you out knocks takes your breath away of how exclusionary it is. I mean it's like it's on Front Street. You can go and in certain cases walk into a bar or whatever, and there'll be a whole bunch of conference people there and. You know, they're not going to talk to you because you're wearing a pair of Dockers or something like that. You know, like it, I think it's it's by far, you know, people trying um, to create an inapproachability, and um, and and in a lot of cases, that from the outside perspective. And I think based on some stories I know, some friends that have kind of been on both sides of this, I think internally the the um, toxicity of it. Um, problems with diversity, problems with, um, you know, how, how different genders are treated and, and all of those things. It's, it's, I think that that is, um, it, it's a huge, it's a huge issue. And I've been to a lot of, I can, I can think of, of a number of times where I've gone to participate in something, whether it be a, um, you know, a cybersecurity competition in college or, you know, one of these conference things where the whole purpose of going, which, you know, which would be to expand knowledge and to share ideas with other security people was totally disrupted by some stupid clicky, you know, hacker elite drama or even worse, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Where people were like really hurt. And, you know, I think probably a lot of people have, have not only left 
that, you know, been treated in a way by that community that they don't even want to be a part of information security, right? Wow. Like okay. that, that broader thing. What do you, where are you at so far? So <laughs> I, I, I am, I think that you, yeah, I mean, I think this might be a high score for you. I don't want a, a little foreshadowing. Okay. I think what you're have saying. Have you seen, I, I guess let's not, yeah, let's not get into the score, but have you seen this? Am I, am I alone? You no, have been I to a lot I of don't think security. That you're alone. I think that, you know, if you were to look at, let's say the people that are attracted to the security industry, right? Computer security. I think that we can all agree that like probably predominantly people that were at fringes uh, of, you know, their like nor like normal schooling hierarchy. Right. Uh, and so this gives them the capacity to sort of be like, oh, okay, well now I am at the top of this. Right. And so, whereas you would think, that, hey, all these people coming together who are maybe kind of fringe or outcast, right? And there's some sort of great community. And it's like, oh, no, actually what's happening is that we just sort of replicate the exact same thing. Um, so that like the same kind of hierarchy, right? Mm -hmm. um, and form these cliques again so that, you know, there is this upper echelon that looks down our, our kind of caste system. So I, I definitely now, agree with what you're and, saying. And the tiers within that caste system – I don't think have a, a ton of merit. Like if you look at, at information security people who are very productive, pivotal, great idea people, I think that that, that group, they may participate. They may have, you know, they, they, they may have, they may be in the small Venn diagram of, of this culture a little bit, but I think that on the whole, they're a lot more welcome. They want to get their ideas out there and they'll, they'll share them and discuss them with, um, you know, a lot broader sense. I don't, nobody's getting anything done within, you know, the, the, whatever it is, you know, uh, a deep, you know, secret room or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I think within the community, I mean, I have met a ton of people that I don't really, you know, that, that seemed to create a persona, that, um, you know, and, and it kind of plays into that, right? Cause it's about secrecy and, um, you know, what can you tell me? What can I tell you? You know, uh, it, all of it kind of plays into a paradigm for, uh, maybe some people misrepresenting, you know, what, what they've actually done in their life career focus, either both, both on both sides of, of both professionally. And I think a lot of times, you know, they, they, uh, have some air of, of, uh, or, or maybe even some real, you know, criminal thing. But I, like I said, I think that that's just, you know, noise. And I, I don't think that there's anything really to, um, to, to look up to in, in the, um, you know, the hacker as a criminal element as, as a role model. But there's a lot of people, I guess, that are attracted to that. Um, but misrepresentation is huge in this and, 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 uh, being able, you know, <laughs> you, some of us have the advantage of being able to source out, you know, where a person's at pretty quickly by, you know, how they approach problems, you know, pretty quickly within a conversation, you know, my, my, uh, my sniff test is going to give me a pretty accurate sense of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a, that's, that's time that's, that comes from experience and, uh, being in a lot of these situations, not everybody's going to have that. And that's, that's what I think a lot of, uh, particularly the, the point I, the, the audience I hope 
get something from this are those young people making the transition for, from you know high school or college or whatever it is into the security industry. I want you to understand that there's a it extends way beyond that. That might be, you know, the 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 people you think are cool, but you go to a bar at DEF CON and sit down next to somebody who's in a pair of Dockers with flip flops and, you know, waiting on a front. Like you can talk to them too, and chances are they're going to be, you know, uh, it's going to be a great conversation, right? <laughs> Whether there's a security person or not, but, you know, if at DEF CON or whatever, when the world gets back to normal, um, I, I think that that's that's where I, I want to make an impact is just to say, and, and then, you know, if, if you're a part of this community, you like some things about the community. Um, you know, I think you guys have, those people also have some work to do to make it more accessible or more accessible, more approachable and, uh, evolve a little bit so that, yeah, if, if, if the origins are, or what it, but it, it, yeah, I mean, focus on on the mentorship angle, right? Focus on 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 bringing up uh, people and and making others more effective by whatever you know. It's not about how you make yourself feel, right? It's it's uh, I don't know, <laughs> or at least that's not how a community should work. It shouldn't just be about you know people looking up to you. It should be about you giving them a reason that they should look up to you. Yeah, and I, yeah, having been involved in the Dallas security community scene for a while, and going to B sides and, and things like that, and seeing, I, I like the B sides uh, uh, conferences because it sort of pulls together a bunch of nit- different niches of security groups in the Dallas area, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you see folks completely across the spectrum. So I think, yeah, to your point uh, about the, the the Dockers versus the black hoodies, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you're probably ignoring a uh, significant and, uh, you know, uh, a significant part of the community and, and one that can really probably contribute to your, your further education and, and learning about stuff. Uh, if you were to just sort of judge folks by what, what they're wearing, right. I think it's not only the people with the black hoodies that are presenting or have something to teach it, you. And if you're even one of those, I, I think a lot of, I've seen this with a lot of those, 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 uh, people within the culture is that, you don't look at, uh, to the outside as, you know, I, I think it's an, an initially, I'm not going to listen to you because you're not a part of this super special thing that we have going on over here. And I've had to break down a lot of those, those walls interacting with, with people. And I've met people that are really, you know, doing a disservice to their career by thinking all of the exciting things going on and all the knowledge to be had exists within a very small subset and, you know, have, have that zoom in on this, like, Oh, I want to be the best, you know, pen tester in the world with without broadening their horizons a, a little bit and and be, having a, a a a perspective and being able to take a step back and talking to people that build apps talking to people that build networks talking to people that um you know are are in the business and and driving things and and you can you know i i think you can learn something from everyone <laughs> sometimes it's positive examples sometimes there there's you know oh i, I don't want to repeat the mistake i see that other person making and both of those things are fair but um you know, not listening to somebody or not, or, or not proactively maybe getting other people's input because they're not a part of a very small community, I, I think is, is going to be, I, I've seen it be, be detrimental to people. Yeah. And, and trust me, I say this as a person who was photographed for a B-sides scavenger hunt wearing as, as 
hey, photo, take your photograph with someone in a black hoodie. And, and that person was me. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're shirt. usually the person wearing some fancy dockers, but <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, so the moral of the story here is that, you know, looks can be deceiving, right? Okay. All right. Well, um, I didn't check the time, but uh, it sounds like you're convinced. So let's uh, hear it, uh, Yeah, I, I, I would say, you know, I, I wasn't sure exactly what angle, so I'm glad that you specified that at the top of the episode. But um, I would put myself at a strong eight. Okay. Uh, oh. Are you going to the digital Did you send envelope? Did or no? Same link. It's on the same link. Oh, same link. link list. Okay. okay, got it. Yep, just scroll down. Okay, I'm scrolling down. I am. Oh, my. On a scale of one to 10, Kevin believes this to be eight true. Boom. Yeah. On yeah. the nose. We're, uh, we're buddies on that one. Wow. Awesome. Uh, Perfect okay. course correction after the last time. <laughs> last time it was a two if you're keeping score so yeah if uh we're, we're trending positive now we're gonna start to get in some topics where i convinced you of it more than i even believe it <laughs> tune in okay. next week folks uh okay well uh yeah that was fun i i hope people get something from it again um yeah i i don't want to I'm, I'm not trying to be I, it is critical, but I'm trying to be constructively critical and I'm not immune to those, those pressures too. And in, in being in touch, you know, I I've definitely, um, you know, wanted to, to be a part of communities and, and, uh, I ended up on kind of the adjacency of that one. I, I think for some of these same, same problems that we were talking about of, um, I'd much rather just, you know, uh, talk to anybody who's who's doing anything and and figure out what we can learn from them. So, I don't like the exclusivity of it. Hmm. But if anybody does see me at a conference, uh, say hi to me. I'll uh, buy you a beer and we'll get to know each other a little bit. So, okay, uh, or whatever beverage. I guess you don't have to drink beer. That's even sometimes we we presume everybody is drinking and maybe that is <laughs> you're being too exclusive. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, throwback episode this week. So this week, let me bring up my uh, my show notes here. Uh, so this week, we're talking to my buddy, uh, Nick Merker, who I mostly call Merck on the segment and in everyday life. So if you hear me say Merck and think that that is Nick's first name, uh you're wrong. And that's very confusing to some people. Uh, Nick was a computer kid who started out working at uh, the ISP that I worked for in high school. He was 14 when he started. Um, Nick got his CS degree from University of Illinois and worked as a Unix and security guy at a few places uh, before um, going to law school and becoming a real life lawyer. Then he ended up like one of the uh, uh, he's like one of the only handful of lawyers that's ever actually understood the tech side of things and help the data security privacy, um, you know, uh, side of things in law. So he went to uh, a firm called Ice Miller. He w- founded a uh, he he got the practice off the ground there for data security and uh, and privacy, and he's now chair of that practice. So. Um, yeah, you'll listen to uh, some shenanigans uh, Nick got into before he was a law dog, as we say. All right, Merck, thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having me, Kevin. Yeah, 
Um, super excited about this one. So we were, uh, you know, so far we've done one of these with our, our buddy Dop, uh, who you knew as well, uh, who's a couple of years older than me, uh, and you're a couple of years younger. So again, flashback to, uh, to, uh, 1990s. And I actually spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out what your first computer is. And I'm not sure I ever knew. So, but when we met, you know, uh, you were, you were basically my first employee at an ISP, uh, not the ISP that we were talking about with, with Dob, but, um, in kind of the ashes of, of that internet service provider, you know, when I was 16, I got a job at a, a new service provider, uh, as kind of the, the sysadmin for, for that. And, uh, you being 14 and me 16, uh, was in fact my, my first employee ever. Uh, and that's kind of how we met. Like I didn't, I, I had kind of known you a little bit in school. Um, but because you were so much younger, we didn't have a, a ton of shared, uh, connection there. So does that sound right? Is that the first time we met? Do you have any memory before that of us interacting? So we met way back when I was in fourth grade and you were in sixth grade because mm-hmm. we were both At in the same level. program. At yeah, some yeah. level, yeah, we didn't really yeah. interact, but you're you're completely correct that when I was 14, working illegally at the internet service provider, getting getting paid before it was legal for me to work, uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Um, so I don't know what your first computer necessarily was, other than just guessing by time, but your computer at work was sparky.ksni.net that's where you sat yes. and it was a pentium 2 400 with uh 64 meg of ram initially i think we bumped it up to 128 later <laughs> and a 16 gig uh ide a tappy hard disk yeah that sounds Running- right and i had Something similar at home, but I had the Pentium 2 with uh, MMX technology, whatever the heck that is. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It was, yeah, (laughs) who knows? But then the the Sparky also had the uh, uh, Windows 98, and I think we later upgraded to Millennium Edition. So we, I, I think we met in 99, huh? Like, or like you started working at the ISP in 99. We obviously met earlier, but, but that would have been kind of when we became friends and, Coworkers and colleagues, and kind of started this whole thing off, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so this isn't necessarily going to be too much about the job that you know you you obviously kind of got your your toe into Unix administration and uh, and some some other technical stuff, but I, I'm kind of more interested in your your uh, side life, your your passion, your the gaming merc that uh, <laughs> uh, drove drove your your life in the 90s so i you know i kind of stopped playing games around the i mean for for all intents and purposes around the time we met uh i was more focused on kind of the technical aspects of you know system administration network and engineering things like that because i was kind of a kid in charge of of the technical stuff for this second isp but uh you were kind of in in your wheelhouse for for kind of a, a gaming kid craze development is is that accurate oh yeah and i i mean it, it's never stopped for me before this recording i was playing a game of hearthstone on my phone while i uh fed my daughter i mean like i i, I still have not stopped it's, it's it's a passion it's a great stress relief at the end of a hard day um but back gotcha. then my game of choice was uh ultima online 
Um, right, which I have never played once. I mean, I, I think I tried <laughs> to play Warcraft. It's, it was kind of in that realm for me of like uh, being too complicated for me to play at some of like or just win reward or whatever. But yeah, so not only did you you play Ultima online, but you know we'll we'll kind of bring in like you 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 had a meta alt, meta ultima online game like you were gaming the game <laughs> at, <laughs> at, at kind of a next level and 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 the reason that I thought it was kind of interesting to connect on this you know ostensibly an information security podcast was I think some of the stuff you were doing were to me as a you know 25 year computer security expert like the first real insight I had into, into like social engineering and some, some endpoint attacks. Maybe, maybe if you're, if you're willing to, uh, to, to kind of explain some of, of what was going on there. But, um, so, so I'll just kind of kick it to you in terms of like, you know, not only playing the game, but, but what were some of the, the side hustles or what were some of the, the, the things going on in, in your world at the time that kind of expanded beyond the game? Well, I I think I need to explain what the game is and when I got into it very quickly because oh sure yeah it, that- it, uh, Ultima Online really was not the first massively multiplayer online role playing game but it was one of the first and mm-hmm. it, those type of games were very different than they are today today if you play World of Warcraft or whatever it is um, if you die or you lose something you don't actually lose anything other than a little bit of time like if you die you get to respawn you may pay a little gold there's no real penalty. In the olden days with Ultima Online, if you died, you lost everything that was on your body. You had to go all the way back and find yourself. Like there were real ramifications for oh, death. Oh, that sounds high stakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't and, realize that. It was like, and it, it wasn't just death. Like if you could purchase a house and you would have one key to the house, if you lose the key or the key is stolen, now somebody else has the key. So I got into this sandbox of uh, a world when I was in seventh grade. And I, you know, wasn't all that good at the game, but I figured out kind of this social engineering aspect of the game. So my, the way I played the game was I would go around trying to trick people into giving me things they shouldn't give me. So I would, (laughs) I I would try to steal people's keys in their house, tell them I'll hold on to it for a minute so they can go do something dangerous and they come back and I've stolen all their stuff. Oh, okay. So, so like almost an insurance thing of, of, of of them being like, Oh, I want to go try this risky quest or something. But then, so so yeah, just kind of an a, a, a in world angle on on insurance almost or something like that. Yeah, so like you're you're I'm your friend in the game, and you're going to go fight this dragon or something, and you don't want to carry your key around. Well, I'll just stay back at home base and guard everything while you're doing that, and then you come back, and I've stolen all your stuff. Um, and then I that kind of was was fun for a while, um, but then I got into uh, understanding how uh, you could actually maybe take over somebody's account. Um, and so the way that worked is uh, Ultima Online is, you know, it was kind of, again, it was the first MMORPG. They really didn't think about security at all. And you had this file on your computer, a, it was called uo.cfg. And in this uo.cfg file was a unencrypted, non-hashed, just straight plain text, your username and your password. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I thought that if I could get my hands on that file, then I could uh, get into somebody's account. So this was back in the ICQ days. And if you remember the ICQ days, the way ICQ works is um, you communicate with ICQ to figure out whether someone's online or not offline or not online. But then when you want to communicate with them, you communicate with them directly. The ICQ servers are not involved. So when you're communicating on ICQ, you have to know everyone's IP address that you're communicating with. 
So what I did is I used a program called uh, Back Orifice. This is back in like 1990. Okay, so now do you know that I was at the release for Back Orifice? <laughs> no, that's hilarious. <laughs> so back, like, so my family took a vacation when I was 16 years old to Las Vegas, and you know, as a family of five, like, you know, they're, they're trying to make it cheap. So we go to Las Vegas in like August, the first week of August when the hotels are basically free, <laughs> which is the same reason that DEF CON used to host, uh, you know, used to host and I mean, does still host, but the, the reason that it's in August is it's insanely cheap. Right. Yeah. So I went to Las Vegas on a family vacation and I figured out that it was the same week as this huge hacker convention, DEF CON. And it was DEF CON 6. So I used to basically every morning on vacation, like four of the days that we were on vacation, I took a cab downtown to the Plaza Hotel to DEF CON 6 as a 16-year-old. <laughs> and the, pro the biggest thing I remember about that was there was the Cult of the Dead Cow back orifice release party. So we were all in this big conference room as they like demoed a little bit and like people would, you know, probe some questions. And it, it was just a wild thing. But yeah, I was like connecting this back of... Of that, and I actually was recently reading that uh, there's a book uh, by Kevin Polson, Kingpin, and uh, about you know a hacker who who had kind of you know had a, a series of, of unfortunate run-ins with with legal people and stuff like that. But he was also at that uh, DefCon Six, and he mentioned some of the talks that I saw. But yeah, okay, so <laughs> so that's my history with Back Orifice is I saw the release party, and then as a good uh, conscientious. Uh, you know, security professional at the time, I never once touched it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so well, I, I guess I should say the way I figured out that back orifice existed is because I was talking to someone on ICQ uh, who was also in the game, who I thought was my friend, and he sent me this file. And he said, you hey, thought, yeah, so he tried, he tried was your to get friend. me. Yes. <laughs> and so once I figured out what was happening, I said, oh, well, I can get this uh, this file. And so I, I mean, it was basically script kitty uh, stuff, but it was the social engineering aspect that was, that was fun, where you would convince someone on ICQ that they needed to uh, run this file. Like it was a, a UO accelerator. There's yeah, this, expansion pack. Yeah, something, whatever, something whatever along that, those lines. Yeah, uh -huh. So you, ICQ would let you send them a, the file. And back orifice was just a, a basic uh, remote administration Trojan. Um, and so when they ran this file, it would run in the background. And then you had their IP address from ICQ. So you could use your, your client uh, version of back orifice to access uh, them and then go after this uo.cfg file. Yeah, and, it, it was basically mirroring the functionality of PC Anywhere in a, in a much more nondescript, yes. you know, non-alerting way. So, um, yeah, and, and I think the core functions were like you could maybe remote in remote desktop in, but then you could grab files. You know, you could do a file system request or you could do a file system push. And it was essentially just an EXE that they ran, right? And it yep. auto installed. And okay, you or, couldn't yeah. do full remote administration like uh, like log me in or PC anywhere or anything like that. But you could mm -hmm. take a picture of their desktop and you could okay. save a picture. And then yeah. you could also do stupid things like eject the CD-ROM uh, and just kind of be annoying. Um, but I, yeah, I really all, just... all this stuff that made exploit, you know, has has integrated since or whatever. But yeah. That... <laughs> Yep. But I, I just got the uo.cfg file. And then when you get that file, then you would wait until one or two in the morning, uh, knowing that the person is asleep. And then you could log into the account and, and take their stuff. Um, and, you know, I thought I was I was very young at the time. I think I was in like eighth grade, maybe maybe ninth grade. I, 
I, I think, yeah, intellectually, you know, it's like this thing of like you're an intellectual adult, but then you don't also understand necessarily like because there's also adults playing this game that are, <laughs> you know, maybe emotionally yes. like, a, a little insecure, <laughs> unstable. And, and the, the notion of what's fair and what's not fair is is pretty intense, right? So. Yeah, and I, I always thought that uh, if you had your stuff stolen, you could make a support ticket with the creators of the game and say, I got my stuff stolen, you'd get your stuff back. I don't know if that's always the case, but that was always the way I, you know, very young. Well, yeah, that's like, the, it. yes, I've, I've heard of the criminal justification of like, oh, we're stealing for somebody who has insurance or something. Yes. <laughs> yeah, got, got it. Uh, but it was, it was, so I did that a few times. Um, and, you know, it was, it was something where you do it the first time and you feel like kind of uh, just surprised that it worked, how easy it is. And then uh, you start to get a conscience of, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Like, this is not uh, did something. I, I did. I stopped. I, <laughs> I don't I, remember I, that. I don't remember that part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I played the game all the way through like college. I was still playing in college. So I, I played it a long time and the, the bad behavior kind of was, was short lived for sure. At least the, okay. the bad, potentially illegal behavior. Uh, they, now I, I don't think the store communications act or the computer fraud and abuse act were around at the time, but nowadays, if you did something like this, you'd have some pretty, uh, strong claims uh, against you under under at least those two acts. Uh, so it's it's not, yeah, it's you, not something you are, I'd recommend. <laughs> so you are a lawyer now. I, <laughs> like yes. I, to be clear, you are um, specializing in in, uh, in in kind of some security and 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 privacy law. So I, I was talking with Dop uh, a couple weeks ago or last week, and and uh, he mentioned like this, you know, wire fraud as a term. But do you, do you have any? What is the statute of limitations on on kind of the the maximum computer computer crime stuff oh that, my goodness that would have committed in the 90s so that if any other guests ask <laughs> I, 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 I don't i don't know but i can't imagine something right. in the 90s would still be actionable uh, that might, today that might be some <laughs> some homework for you on uh on because uh, i think uh next week my my guest actually uh you know has a has a more fiscal <laughs> uh we're, we're yeah we're gonna be talking to to rob about his uh his double click adventure uh, oh yeah is, that's uh, yeah. a fun one um so so getting back to this was was this the extent of kind of i i mean you went on to you know have a have a, a an early career in information um systems technology system administration a, a bit of security in that i mean you know, at, at some point you you know you we, we continue to work together at multiple places um and and you were working on security when you know and then you eventually decided to go to law school and still are are involved in security topics through the legal side of things but was, was this the extent of your your kind of hacking fell into this gameplay ad adventure or, or did you do anything else um you know that you want to admit to uh now <laughs> well <laughs> on, so on, on this podcast i i so i i will say that this event um kind of got me to think like a although it was very basic like rudimentary stuff that it got me to think like a hacker which was very helpful to me um as i went through my path in information security and now as an attorney where if you're able to kind of understand how the bad guy might work uh you can hopefully get in front of it and i think um, just although although I did it at a very young age and it was very simple, just under understanding the the motivation behind it and kind of the the way that the hackers might think at all is I think really helpful. So I don't I don't I, I can't really think of any other things I'd want to admit to in a podcast, but uh, it it was very helpful for my career. I will say. 
Okay, well, I'm going to put you on. Now, this isn't hacking related, but this is, I mean, same age Merck did once host a LAN party at the ISP. (laughs) And uh, you were short one Ethernet cable and you procured it from the secondary DNS server and primary web server. Is that true? Uh, No, that's not true. It was the secondary DNS server and primary mail server. (laughs) <laughs> so even even worse okay. uh, yes <laughs> that, that okay. definitely happened which i think was our first <laughs> not argument but my first uh disappointment i'll say in US, I, as, I remember you as my young me. prodigy <laughs> uh, so we were playing video games until i don't know four or four thirty in the morning and then uh, my parents i was again like 15 or 16 so my parents are waking me up at 6 30 in the morning saying that you're calling me and i'm like what does he want i'm going back to bed so i didn't even get out of bed and fix the issue until maybe 11 maybe noon i mean it was it was pretty bad because i was not in town yeah uh, you had moved to uh chicago you were in college at the time okay gotcha gotcha so <laughs> very little excuse for you to <laughs> <laughs> as an employee as a paid employee of of the firm <laughs> who did create the problem uh so yeah you we've all matured quite a bit from that oh from for then, sure but, um you i i do you you mentioned uh be, before and i do want to ask uh <laughs> in this ultima online you uh, that wasn't the only phone call that your parents woke you up or, or, or yelled down to you about, right? Didn't you, you, you once got a call from some of your, your gaming partners? Yeah. So th- this, this is a good little tangent just generally because, um, back again, very first MMORPGs ever made, uh, where it was people just figuring out how to, how to participate in these games and you develop a community of people that you've never met in life. This is before Ventrilo, before TeamSpeak, before Skype. So there's no voice communications. It's all just text-based stuff in the game. Mm-hmm. So I was part of a guild and I had this house and I had all this other stuff. And uh, I was frustrated with the game. I was probably like 17, 18 at the time. And I was just like, I'm done. I need to go do something else. So someone in the guild says, hey, uh, give me all your stuff. And I say, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that for you. But then I, I don't actually follow through. Somehow on a forum, I, when I registered on the guild forum, I'd put my phone number in. And so this person calls my, my home and I hear again, my, my mother upstairs, I was in the basement and she yells down, Nick, there's a Bobby on the phone for you. I was like, who the, what is this? And so I get on the phone and it is a very older woman who is uh, talking to me, asking me if I'll give, I'll log back on to give her all of the stuff that I was playing (laughs) with. And it was just, it's like, that's when it hit for me that this is like a, it's, I, I, the, the community aspect of it, I never really understood on how important uh, for for some folks that community aspect is for the game. Like, right. uh, I like some of the some of the people I had met and I'd never met in real life, never talked in person, uh, never even t- heard them in audio. They were they I consider them kind of friends of mine at the time because we played together every day. And it's even more uh, real now when you can see people in video, you talk and whatnot. But back then, it was just it, it, it's weird how you make friends in just a pure text only interface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just kind of the dis- disassociation of that. I I remember the first time it clicked for me. Uh, I was on this uh, this penetration test in the kind of 2008, maybe 2009, and I was subcontracting for for Rapid Seven that had a, had acquired you know the uh, HD Moore's you know company. And uh, they were including all this war dialing into the like, which it was wait, late times for war dialing, right? Like <laughs> to actually call all these phone numbers in a in a um, 
but they, you know, they had the Warvox tool that would dial all this, uh, all these phone numbers and record the audio uh, via SIP. It was like much more efficient than than you know prior efforts in war dialing. But this hospital, you know, uh, in Nebraska, bought this pen test contract that include this like war dialing provision in the statement of work. So I do this war dialing effort and. I'm calling all the prefixes of the hospital, which include these like room numbers of sick patients. So like all the audio that's collected is just like people who had to like get out of bed. Oh my. You know, and I'm just like, oh my God, these are, these are real people. This is so terrible. But yeah, you know, it's just like clicks at some point that there's uh there's some consequences, even if you're trying to do the, the right thing, right? It's, it's not, these aren't just targets. These aren't just computers. These are, these are people. And I, I feel that again, I'm like the world's worst social engineer because I always feel so bad for the people that get like get triggered <laughs> or anything like that so um any any uh last words or any other throwback memories of of the the 90s you want to bring forward or you think we we covered it pretty good with with the gaming stuff i i will just tell you that i don't think it's ever going to be uh as great as it was when we were growing up with with computers <laughs> like the it I mean, people say the Wild West of of the internet, but it, it truly was. No one knew how anything worked uh, in terms of uh, the, I mean, you knew how the individual pieces work, but how it all came together and how it would impact society as much as it has. No one could have ever predicted that. And it was just a, a wild time to be growing up in computers. And I, I, I don't think, I, I don't know, I just, I feel blessed to have uh, grown up in that time. It was a lot of fun. And I, I really think it shaped me as, as a person and as a, a professional too. Um, I, I, I I, 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 it was just a great opportunity, I think. Yeah, that's a great point. We kind of grew up with computers. Like, I mean, as computers were progressing, I mean, we saw connectivity happen really. Like, um, you know, I, I made the transition, you know, I started in kind of BBS times, made the transition to internet. Um, you were maybe a year later, you might've dialed into a BBS once or twice. Once or or twice. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Yeah. Super great. Glad to have you on, Nick. Uh, this was really interesting and, and uh, can't wait to do this another 20 years when we're, when we're talking about the hijinks <laughs> of our mid-30s. So, <laughs> Well, thank you, Kevin. It was great talking uh, to you. All right. Thanks, bud. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Dennis, what do you think of uh, Merck's podcast? Okay. So a couple things that I love about this one. Uh, number one, the working for the ISP. Um, I had the same... Uh, let's say experience in high school. I myself didn't work at an ISP, but the guys in our computer science class in high school that knew the most, they worked for the local Errol's uh, internet service provider. And they were the guys that were doing, you know, a ping of death in the computer lab. Uh, They were the guys that were talking about uh, a back orifice, you know, things way beyond me, right? I'm just trying to get my C link list to work. And, and these guys were at the crux of uh, computer security at the time. I, so, in that podcast segment, yeah, I told the story of how I was at the release party for yes. Back Orifice, which was at a hacker conference, right? So, that yeah. was starting to. So, to you know, I, I thought that was, that, that was uh, hilarious to me because it actually just sort of like, I, I had not thought about those guys in forever. So, that was good <laughs> for me. Um, Totally loved his uh, <laughs> his trolling stories uh, for Ultima Online. I thought were great. I myself did not play that game, but uh, just you know his uh, social engineering and, and exploiting the trust of online individuals, I thought was hilarious. It totally killed me when he said that some person found out his home phone number and called him up to harass him about. Uh, 
online property or whatever that maybe that was great um it uh i i definitely was not doing any anything to the the degree that merc was doing but uh it reminded me of uh playing on some sort of like uh web-based rpg type of game and and writing a bot for that game and, and going on to the game's forum and this is a minor game going on to the game's forum and posting hey bot for sale you know this will collect you know gems for you or something like that and then uh having the creator of the game respond to me and telling me that he's going to ban me for life if i ever do any of that stuff again so um, <laughs> my, my 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 dipping my toe into the water of game exploitation um did not last very long yeah nice so what do you know what game that was that you're playing just for oh, people no it's a i do not um oh, okay yeah, well, we it was a, a... such a it was not you know it's not one of these triple A games. It was some game that probably gotcha. like, you know I'm trying to sabotage some guy's life work. Uh, <laughs> so awesome, yeah. Uh, lo- love love Merck's stories there. Definitely, he's he's got a bunch more. We only kind of scratched the surface on that. So working on uh, getting Merck back for for another segment in the future. So awesome. Uh, all, all right, Dennis. Well, uh, another successful uh, podcast. I think we're getting good at this. Yeah. This was great. Uh, looking forward to keeping keeping it going. All right. Thanks, bud. Talk to you next week. All right. Later.